For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 29 of Future Projection Baseball America podcast. I'm Carlos Glazo, as always, joined by Ben Badler. We come to you uh, on a Friday here in March. It's the 25th. Spring training is rolling at this point. Ben, how's it going, man? What have you been up to? I'm doing good, Carlos. Yeah, doing a mix of everything right now. Pro, uh, international, draft stuff is is uh obviously well underway and we're looking ahead to future years so a lot of, a lot of juggling acts going on as as usual yeah it's for me i feel like maybe for a lot of people they're really digging into a lot of the pro stuff and the spring training coverage i know uh josh norris and jeff Ponce have been out at spring training for us and they're already filing some stories and some notebooks from what they're seeing um and that's good to see but i feel like at this point in the season for me uh, it's very difficult to kind of turn my head away from draft stuff and look at spring training or pro stuff with any real depth. So I kind of am, am just reliant on uh, the guys who are covering that stuff regularly, just because the draft season is so fully in swing. Uh, we're doing more underclass stuff. So we just released our, our top 50 college list and updated top 50 college list for the 2023 class. So I've been diving more into the, the draft side of things than than previously. So there is a lot going on. It's tough for me to keep track kind of at the level that, that I would probably like to, but at the same time, it's fun to get more of a head start and a, and a longer tail on some of these follows for the draft than we've previously done. And just doing more updates on that side has been fun for me, but I am looking forward to, to reading all the coverage from spring training and seeing if there are any prospects who are popping um, and if there are any big changes or bounce backs or, or players who aren't looking good, it's obviously less fun if players don't look good. And we maybe don't hear about those as much because it's not as exciting. But um, what, what is spring training like for you? Are you able to focus on it too much? Are you going to be heading down there? Or are you kind of focused on international and draft stuff as well? As far as what we do in trying to project the future for these players into the long term, I don't know that spring training really matters all that much for for most of these guys especially with a condensed spring training window this year um it it's i i think you you can look at it for the very young players guys who are at the complex level in in their career path or or guys who maybe played in the Dominican summer league who you're getting eyes on for the first time I think it, it can matter more for them because those are the players who are more likely to have made some significant change from when we saw them at the end of 2021. Um, it's more likely those players could have added significant weight, either you know, good or bad <laughs> in, in, uh, in, in those cases, uh, or could have increased the, the velo or, you know, or, or made some measurable difference that would affect the way that we project them 
long term, but it's it's less likely to see that for older, more more advanced players. Now, that's not a an absolute rule, right? Like we've already seen that as Jeff was at Cardinals camp the other day and writing about Gordon Graceffo and his velocity. It does miles per hour, right? Yeah, which is like, I mean, at this time, well, this time last year is pretty cold and at uh, uh, that uh, Villanova, right? But yeah, um, he didn't he didn't touch he, he didn't throw a fastball over ninety four last year in college, and the Cardinals are squeezing out. I mean, we saw a velo uptick last year already. I mean, throwing in short bursts. Maybe yeah, his debut in pro ball. I feel like he was one of the guys who, who kind of jumped out very quickly as, oh, this guy's stuff looks a lot better already. He's a fifth-round pick. Cardinals signed mm-hmm. him for 300000 Yeah, and in our draft report, we have him sitting 89-93 and touching a 94. So that's a, a pretty massive jump in, I mean, under a year. Yeah, for a guy who, you know, really fills the zone, throws a mm-hmm. ton of strikes, so you know, the concern on him was, you know, he just, he tops yeah. out at 94, which in today's game is maybe a fringy in terms of, <laughs> in terms of, in terms of pure velocity. Yeah. On, for Tennessee, that's just below average, man. You can't, you can't jump into their rotation if you don't have a fastball that you can get up to 97. Right. Yeah. And here the Cardinals are helping him, you know, throw five, six miles an hour harder already Insane. in less than a year. It's uh, so, you know, you, you have examples like that but you know I, I think a lot of spring training look guys are just coming in the hitters are just getting their timing back the pitchers you know especially the guys who are on the 40-man roster who didn't know when they needed to start to ramp up this year because of the lockout are, are going to be at different phases than they are typically and, and they're going to be working their way back and, and they're not going to be necessarily mixing in their full repertoire and attacking hitters like it's a game in the middle of June, they, they might be working on specific things from, you know, that the player development staff wants them to focus on. They might have certain restrictions on their pitch usage, all sorts of different factors come into play that I think make spring training, not a great environment mm-hmm. to make an evaluation. Uh, I think there's still things yeah. we can, like I was saying you, that you can glean and you can, used to update your prior reports on players. But for, for the most part, I don't think spring training moves the needle a ton Hmm. for, you know, for the majority of players. What I thought was interesting was, and maybe this is just how I'm wired normally, but the, the scout feedback that we get from spring training, I, I actually put a lot more stock into just in general talking about spring training than maybe anything I would see. And and I think, like I said, maybe this is just how I am because I put a lot more stuff into what the stocks say, or what the scouts say in general. But Josh's story from a year ago, I think he released it on May 4th, um, but it was 28 prospects turning, turning heads entering the 2021 season um, identified by Major League Scouts. And there are a lot of good names on this list. Like I'll just run through a few of them and I'll link it in the show notes so you guys can go see what these scouts said before the 2021 season. And you can see kind of the guys that they hit on and maybe you would have been alerted to prior to them having really good years, but there's names like Francisco Alvarez, Reed Detmers, um, Mackenzie Gore was on there. And that is certainly one that he did not have a great season. Um, Michael Harris is a really good one. Kyle Harrison, Robert Hassel, um, Tyler Soderstrom is on here. Anthony Volpe. 
So a lot of guys who really had either breakout years or really good years, and it does seem like in a very short amount of time, scouts are able to identify something about them that, that has them excited or intrigued. So I guess with you saying that it, it, it maybe is tough to take away too much from spring training, is there anything specific you are looking for that you feel like can be informative or do you feel like maybe the scouts just have a better feel for picking up on those things than um, maybe a, a random person going to the field and just trying to get a feel for these players? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I do agree with the last part, right? But <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a given. I, I mean, I, I think, you know, like, like, all right. I mean, it was a good story, right? Like Volpe was obviously a, a good, mm. a good call. Um, you know, if you're going to go in and tell me that Francisco Alvarez, the Mets number one prospect or <laughs> Tyler Soderstrom, the A's number one prospect. One. Yeah. But I, I, I think last year also was just an unusual situation where spring training mm -hmm. evaluations were more valuable yeah. than maybe ever before, right? Because we didn't have a minor league season in 2020. That a lot of scouts sense. probably didn't see any of these guys previously, right? Uh, you, you have these guys at alternate training sites or instructional league. And then in some cases you weren't allowed access to any of those environments or and I think of the in the Yankees case they didn't even have an instructional league right so <laughs> Anthony Volpe is is a good example of okay we're seeing something that looks pretty markedly different than what we saw from him as an amateur or or Alec Manoa I think is actually a, a really good example where you you could see the stuff had hit another gear in spring training and what and and you can identify that the stuff has ticked out uh, or excuse me, has ticked up whether you're measuring it in terms of the, um, you know, the quantifiable hard data that you can get from just, you know, something as basic as, you know, how hard he's throwing or, or the spin or, or the break on the pitch, uh, or you're just watching him pitch with a critical eye and you're saying, Oh, those are, those are 70 breaking balls <laughs> that he's throwing. That's not a, you know, a 55 ish type breaker that he's throwing. It's in there and it's getting swings and misses from good hitters, but just, you can see the raw quality of the pitch has, you know, has ticked up. Um, that's, that's different than seeing, you know, or Elvis Martinez hit a home run in, you know, the later innings of a spring training game. And I don't, you know, I really like Elvis Martinez. He's in our top 100 for a reason, but like, that's not going to change the, I'm not going to change anything about our report on Elvis Martinez from, you know, a few good spring training at bats. Yeah. And I guess, what do you, do you have any thoughts on McKenzie Gore's start to spring training? Because he has had two pretty good starts so far. Five innings, no runs allowed, just one hit allowed, seven strikeouts, no walks. Have you heard anything specific about him? And, and I guess how important is spring training for a guy like Mackenzie Gore, who maybe is one of the more polarizing players in baseball? Obviously, he's coming off a very disappointing season in 2021. Um, we have people in our staff who thought he was a top 100 prospect, some people who thought he didn't quite belong on that list. So very wide range of opinions on him, given the year that he turned in, I guess, how important is this season for him in general? And, and do you have any thoughts on him 
from spring training so far? Is this one of those cases where you don't want to just read too much into very small sample sizes and early performance and all of that? Yeah, it's, it's definitely encouraging to see because you're seeing, I mean, look at his best. We've seen him look like a front of the rotation starter who could be a top 10 type of overall prospect in baseball. And we just haven't seen that from him with any type of consistency mm-hmm. over the last two years. And you can obviously give him a pass for 2020, right? Uh, just because the reports were from the alternate training site. But, um, you know, last year was not a, a good one for him. So to see him come out and, and throwing strikes early on is encouraging. But, um, you know, it's it's more important if if he's doing this in, in May and June, mm-hmm. but obviously this is an encouraging early start from him to see him looking the way he has so far um, this, this, this spring mm-hmm. early on. Another guy who, who sounds like he's just been really impressive is Khalil Watson. I know Jeff got some mm-hmm. live looks at him and we got some video of Khalil and he just looks so strong like he's got such a, a strong foundation in his lower half and like jeff described his his bat to ball skills as like a magnet for the baseball it sounds like he's just been firing at all cylinders and i know seeing how he performed on the circuit um during his draft uh, the summer prior to his draft year was pretty exceptional and then josh got some really good videos of him during the spring it just seems like every time khalil plays anywhere he is barreling up the baseball he hits for power. I'm really curious to see how the evaluations are of his defense as this year progresses. Cause I would love for that type of bat to profile at shortstop. Um, so maybe that's maybe the most intriguing, intriguing part for me about his profile, just because I have so much confidence in the hit tool at this point, I, I just kind of expect him to hit. Um, but it is encouraging and exciting to see a guy like that off to a strong start. It's one of those things where you have a a high kind of baseline for a player and it's only reinforced. And so you just continue to get more excited um, for me. But I mean, if this guy continues to hit like this and and lives up to the expectations and lives up to the tools and the athleticism that he had in the draft, I mean, we were talking about a guy who legitimately had a case to, to be one of the better shortstops in the class. We had him ranked in the top seven. I believe he was either six or seven, our RBA draft board, and fell down to the middle of the first round for whatever reason, certainly not on pure talent. Um, And I'm really excited about that one. I think he's one of the players who just in in the reading that I've been doing from the coverage that, that our guys have, have gone out and and been doing so far, that one is really exciting to me. Yeah. Again, it's like, it's another one where, where I wouldn't change where we have Khalil Watson right now but it does it, it is cool to see him hit two home runs in a game and, and yeah. just to be able to have more people you know just to have more people see how talented of a, mm. of a hitter he is because yeah um, I, I couldn't believe he was still available when the marlins picked I, I think i was like tweeting during the draft i was like somebody somebody take this guy like this is <laughs> this is absurd he should not yeah. still be available it was, it was insane here. it was i think it was pretty uh, everyone at BA like that was their favorite pick of the draft just because of where we had him on the board and where he wound up it was crazy at the time but I mean I guess we really shouldn't be surprised when this happens it does seem like it happens pretty regularly there always is a player or two that will slide for 
whether it's signability reasons, going down to a team with more pool money. And the Marlins certainly had some pool money. It happened with Matthew Libertor. It happened with Brady Singer. It seems like it's a fairly common occurrence. But yeah, I mean, a benefit for the Marlins. Their, their system has a lot of upside. And Khalil is certainly very important for a system that's really pitching heavy. So you're, you're going to want to hit on a player like that who is as toolsy with the upside that he has at a premium position. Um, just really exciting. Maybe, maybe the best thing about spring training is just seeing these guys on a field playing baseball. You kind of get that excitement that if you are not paying attention to the amateur space, if you're not watching college baseball, it's really your first taste of, of actual baseball in a long time. Maybe that's the, the most important takeaway here is just getting people excited and, and uh, looking forward to the season again. Oh yeah. Yeah. If you're there, if you can go to spring training, I've never been, what, what is it like there? It's it's great. I mean, it's a very, really relaxed, casual atmosphere, and you, you just got to go to the backfields. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm, I'm sure you're interested in prospects. It's it's great because every, every team has that quad set up on their backfields. You go time it up where you can see these guys once they're playing in in games, and it'll be a day where, you know, the Royals will play a game against the Rangers. So you'll go to their backfields and they'll have their, their low A game on one field, their high A game on another double A, triple A. Sometimes they split them up too. So you might only get two games, but um, again, what only two games you're, you're seeing, you know, two to four levels of prospects at a time. And you can just sort of wander around just the, the, the backfields it's everything is is right there i feel like i I must be on the wrong beat here because all of the pro events seem like they are so much more low-key and relaxed um than all of the high school events that we go to because the the only thing that's similar to that is like jupiter for me and that one is just like a million backfields with a million players playing at the exact same time people scrambling you're going from like 8 a.m to 10 p.m or later and you feel paranoid that you're missing people. This one feels like you kind of pick a complex, sit on some teams for a while, and you can maybe bounce back and forth from two, two or three fields. Maybe is that accurate? It just seems like the pace is so much different. And especially if you're in Arizona, because if you don't, I mean, if you have one team, like if you're an Orioles fan, you just want to see Orioles games. All right, well, you want to go to your team in Florida, right? Like you're going to stay in that city. Now, you, it's it's a little bit harder to get from you know, Sarasota or Fort Myers over to, you know, West Palm beach. Right. But in Arizona, everything is within, you know, 45 ish minute drive right there. So you can, if you just love prospects, I would definitely go to Arizona and just bounce around a whole bunch of different teams. Um, I I was going to say academies, uh, facilities down there, their complexes and just see a whole bunch of different, players over a week but yeah probably that arizona fall league is kind of the same like you just have like a very relaxed intimate vibe and you just see so many prospects at once so it's uh (laughs) it's definitely different scene than the uh the amateur space domestically yeah what a what a crazy environment that is but no i like i like too that the that the teams you you have more teams posting highlights on Mm -hmm. Twitter now through their player I feel like the video feeds. quality has been hugely improved on Twitter feeds and not not just major league teams but I've noticed it with college programs as well like the actual video and highlights that you get 
in in close to real time during the games is pretty exceptional. Like I remember it was only a few years ago where it was very common for most of the programs to tweet out like a home run and you just kind of have a default graphic that was maybe the right. player or like <laughs> the player posing in their preseason photo shoots or like a graphic that literally just says home run. And now you're actually seeing a lot of these highlights um, on social media. And I also like recent, I think it was today, actually Parkview high, which is a powerhouse baseball team, high school team in Georgia, actually Matt Olson and Jeff Francoeur both came from, um, with, with that Matt Olson trade and signing being kind of fresh in the mind, they had like a college quality graphics package stat link pre like pregame information. Like it, it was crazy to me that it was a high school team with like college level information graphics before a game, like a regular game for them during this high school season. So it seems like maybe COVID was good for the, uh, the digital teams for all of these clubs from from high school to the majors, everyone really upped their game over the last few years. So you're pro COVID now. <laughs> well, no, we got to, you know, you got to take a silver lining out of everything. Maybe you had a chance no, that is, to, uh, to take stock I, of what you're doing, upgrade some some cameras, reassess your digital plan. But no, it, it is really cool. I, I know the Royals had a really good cut of Pasquantino and Bobby Witt Jr. from some of their early highlights. And it seemed like documentary style footage that was really high quality, like not necessarily the footage that I would want to see if I was just trying to like break down a swing, but in terms of getting excited for the season and showing off the players, it's fantastic. It's every team, every team should do what I, like I see the Brewers and the Rangers and some other clubs doing they and the, and the giants too, they have player development accounts and they're just taking they, they all have videos that you know they're put they're putting up a camera in center field you know same cameras that we bring to the park they just set one up in center field they'll have one behind the plate they'll have one um you know usually from the open side for each hitter and, and maybe for the pitcher too from their open side as well so they have all this video. Every team should be posting these highlights. I think it's a great way for them to get their fans uh, excited and and just more familiar with these with their young prospects. I mean, yeah, put them on we, TikTok. Put them, put them everywhere. <laughs> and it's kind of a joke, but at the same time, like, and I'm going to go into a little it's bit true. Of here, but. Jay, you know that JJ is obsessed with Drive to Survive and Formula One, right? Like that's I very much tweeting about it. I'm like, I don't know what that is. And I don't yeah, want to know well, three weeks ago. I didn't go know what that is either, either Ben, I didn't know what that was either, but then I've been described to survive. And so I know like how, and just looking at a few stories that are showing like how much the American audience has increased for that sport, just because of a really good documentary about it on Netflix is crazy. They've made billions of dollars because it is basically turned on the U.S. market to F1, which was largely um, just not a U.S. sport that the many Americans cared about. Uh, and now it's it's pretty massive in the country. We're getting more races here. And I do think that just putting the sport in front of eyeballs, in front of where people are like consuming content is extremely important. I think MLB The Show being on two major platforms for video games was really important in helping the young demographic watch baseball last year like i don't know if there's a way to directly tell 
if those people who are playing Xbox and will be the show translated into fans. But I do know that the younger demographics for the sport, the numbers were pretty encouraging last year, just in terms of like who is watching. And so it, it seems to me like just nothing but benefit to put the sport out on as many platforms as possible, find out where people are engaging with content and, and create content for all these platforms, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Like it would be so cool to have an actual documentary on a major league baseball season on Netflix. Like that, that sounds like it would be something that would create fans and baseball in general doesn't seem like they're good at that. Um, but seeing some of these teams just upping their social media games is encouraging and exciting, I guess. Yeah, I, I think it's important to just to show, to, just to have your fans be able to see more of your young up and coming players. I mean, there are, there are certain players who are great about the way that they handle themselves on social. I mean, think of like Julio Rodriguez, yeah. right? Or, or Manuel Beltre. With, Julio, who did a, a workout for us on our Baseball America Instagram, which was awesome. Yeah, I mean, these, these guys are really... They're, they're smart, they're savvy, they're super personable too, yeah. and super talented. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Julio Rodriguez's case, like, I, I think he's going to have, if, if he becomes, I, I think he has a chance to be like a top 10 selling jersey in mm-hmm. baseball within a few years because of the combination yeah, of his talent and just the way he interacts with, with fans. So the more, yeah, if I ran the marketing department for, a team I, I i would insist that our teams just cut up highlights of mm-hmm. our prospects especially if you're a team like i mean i think the pirates are actually doing this but you know if you're a team in that situation or i was gonna say the rockies but i don't know if the rockies view themselves <laughs> in in that way but if, if you're a team where you really have to be banking on your future more so oh, yeah the rockies definitely don't i don't think they view themselves that way or else their their offseason moves make no sense to me no i mean i don't that, really get it maybe they should but i mean they they just made that trade for adrian well they traded for randall gritchick they mm-hmm. gave the the blue jays rymel tapia and that's like what everybody is saying is the trade mm-hmm. the, the blue jays just got Adrian Pinto. Yeah, Ben, from... you're super high on this guy. So I guess if, if people haven't really been digging into it, like why is this such a good trade for the Blue Jays? Why do you like it so much from their perspective? What is what what should we be getting excited about with Pinto? So I, I've seen Pinto since he was, I mean, probably, I mean, for the last maybe four or five years ago, <laughs> I've been seeing him. So he even from a, a very young age, He's always stood out as just a, a very smart, heady, instinctual player. He's five foot six, which is probably why he was available in this trade. I, I get Boom, I mean, that, I, that's I, all you need to hear, Ben. He's five <laughs> foot six. You're in. You're you're on board. You're locked in. <laughs> it's I mean, you can I don't know if you can pull up his his numbers, Carlos, yeah, but he had he he basically was he hit what? he hit 360 486 543 in 54 games last year in the Dominican Summer League. Um he ranked second in the league in average, second in on base, uh and slugging he ranked fourth. He walked 30 to 38 times uh and struck out 18 times, led the league in stolen bases with 41 bags and 49 tries. And that's all from your story 
um, breaking down the trade. And I'll link to that in the show notes if you guys want to get the full report that you have. Yeah, so so he's also not some like random unknown prospect either. We after you know he signed in 2019 out of Venezuela. He was number 60 on our top 100 international signings, and he was there in part because it he he made a ton of contact. I mean, everybody who saw him just said this guy almost never swings and misses he is you know as, as much as you can tell at that level he seems to have a pretty good sense of the strike zone like you said more than twice as many walks as strikeouts now some of that is just dsl pitching but you don't see too many hitters who have those numbers maybe being DSL. that short helps there in the dsl yeah yeah 100 oh, it's i mean it helps everywhere mm-hmm. right? just having a smaller strike zone but but certainly there mm-hmm. too where, where the pitchers are uh you know certainly a lot more erratic but he he doesn't expand the zone a lot he he makes a ton of contact when he does swing the, the swing is pretty short and quick you've got some you know sneaky juice in there where you've already got exit velos into the you know low lowish 100 so he's not just a, a slap hitter he's getting into that awesome martin range that's good that's so good he's yeah i mean i i don't think it's ever going to be big big power but yeah. i mean I, I i wouldn't have thought that about ozzy albies either when mm-hmm. he was i mean it's a different well ozzy albies has a very different body type now he was probably like five is he five six now <laughs> he's he's I'm a sure short he's dude but he at what when he signed he was about a hundred and i mean he was he weighed very little a hundred and albies is at five eight 165 now that's from b ref so yeah you know you know what i would like I would like MLB just to height and weight the players every year in spring training. I, I, there, there are just so many cool. players who are not the height <laughs> they, they they say there are. They you're taking the under on Aussie? Is that what you're saying? I I think uh, yeah. I'm saying I've I've stood next to a lot of players, and I think uh, I think a lot of them are using their Tinder heights on their. <laughs> On their MLB.com. Well, we have pages. Adrian Pinto listed at 5'6", 156 pounds, which is yeah. quite small. Yeah. But it sounds he's, like he's really toolsy. Well, that's the other thing is he's not this, he's not just like some small, scrappy, you know, contact-oriented guy who can't really run or throw. I mean, he's he led the league in stolen bases down there. And it's again, it's not just because he's smart and has good instincts. And yeah, we have him listed as a plus plus runner in our scouting report where he ranked as the number 19 prospect in the Rocky system. So do we have, do we have him reset in the blue Jay system? Do you know whereabouts he'll he'll rank in that range? Have we already plugged that in or no? No, no, not yet. We have to, we're going to update. There's been so many, we usually would not have this many trades (laughs) happening uh, this, this time of year, which is kind of fun having it. I think it's a blast. Yeah. I think I don't want to repeat this, but it is nice or it's just exciting at least to have a window of action like this. Yeah, absolutely. It's always fun. I mean, this is why the hot stove used to be so fun is because you get a ton of trades around when the winter meetings are. And when that cooled off, it was just lamer for everyone. There's not as much happening. And anytime you get a, a bunch of activity and a compressed window of time, it's just a lot of stuff happening. Teams changing players, fan bases getting excited, people wondering how a player is going to do in a certain lineup. What is this going to team? It's just fun. Like everyone likes to get excited about the new season and wonder and hope and 
maybe if you're the A's, you, you don't have those feelings this year, but you know, it's, it's always fun when, when trades happen. It's, it's one of the best parts about all sports. Yeah. And, and Perez has a, he has a really fast arm too. So there's, uh, or excuse me, not Perez. Pinto. I was thinking of a uh, Brian Perez, the, the pitcher they have who I really like too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the Rockies have been signing some good players internationally mm-hmm. the last few years with, you know, Yankee El Fernandez and Pinto and uh, Brian Perez Volquez and, and Jordy Vargas and, and some other guys, but I don't understand. Like I, I, I think Pinto might end up being, I mean, it's right. Like he, he might end up being like Ronald Torres. Right. And it's just, mm. all right. Like a solid piglet or, or he might, you know, never make it past a ball too. Right. There's certainly mm-hmm. those type of outcomes uh, that are, are possible here, but I, I think he has a chance to be a, a, a really good big leaguer down the road obviously was there was there some money involved in this trade because i'm just trying to understand uh, like is gritchick just better than i'm thinking he is i don't understand it from the rockies perspective i i really don't understand it from the rockies perspective which i i guess i could say about a lot of their recent moves i mean i Mm -hmm. i just again like i i think this is going to be one of the worst teams in baseball this year um i don't i don't think that's even a particularly controversial (laughs) opinion I, I, yeah. I just don't see i don't see them being a playoff contender so I, i'm not really sure why they're trading well, we making have... this trade to give away mm-hmm. a prospect like you know all right you want gritchick instead of tapia all right i guess like i think they're comparable value i i certainly see why the blue jays would make that deal they have a you know they, they really need more of a fourth outfielder and tapia can serve that role and and you know do it to complement the as, as a left-handed bat with that right, right-handed heavy mm-hmm. outfield they have but for them to get pinto in that deal yeah. i i'm i'm very <laughs> surprised they were uh again i'm not i'm not saying like pinto is like a top 100 prospect or anything like that right now yeah but, but i feel like with where the rockies are at now kind of what we're expecting them to do this year that's a guy you'd want to keep in your system and see like, yeah how he progresses because like you said you don't expect the rockies to be competitive this year well we have all of our season predictions from all the writers who participated in our mlb crystal ball which will be out soonish i believe um and i think everyone put the rockies either in fourth or fifth in the nl west and i just pulled up the fan graphs projections for this year and they have the rockies projected second worst in in baseball ahead of only the orioles so but that was before yeah. they got randall gritchick I don't know how often they update it. I, just <laughs> I don't it think right that's going to make a big difference. <laughs> but yeah, it's it, it just a little weird. And I guess for Blue Jays fans, uh, you can continue to be excited about the moves they're making because Ben, you've been you've been praising them quite a bit this off season. I, I guess love you like their, what they're doing overall. Yeah, I I love their off season. They're going to have an unbelievable <laughs> home field advantage this year just because of the vaccine requirements in Canada. Oh, somebody pointed out I saw. I don't know how really, that's an advantage or a disadvantage. Like, well, it's it, it the the advantage is that their their players are vaccinated, right? Like, they're, which, which their is like it's almost like too. it's almost like all the other players could could be if they wanted to, you know? Like, yeah, it's, it's very much you're just shooting yourself in the foot if if you are going to claim the Blue Jays have an advantage over you. Like, it's there. You can just take the advantage that you're saying they have. You you can grab it too. No one's stopping you. So I I think they're. I, I mean, I think they're a very strong world series contender right now and mm-hmm. then for them to 
make that trade that upgrade or, you know, at least kind of is a good fit for their major league team and add a quality prospect yeah. to the organization. I, I, I just, everything the blue Jays have been doing, I, I just really like this. Our staff this is pretty high on their off season moves. I think collectively there, there are a lot of people who, who pointed them out for, for best off season, which I don't know if I'm spoiling too much of our crystal ball, but it's fun to look through it. And I know you guys like that stuff too. So the blue Jays will, will do well there if you're looking forward to it. <clears throat> How about any other teams who are who are not looking good for the 2022 season um, and, and their prospects? One of the teams that I think of is the Pirates and O'Neill Cruz. O'Neill Cruz is a guy who who got a, a decent amount of votes in our NL Rookie of the Year um, predictions. He seems like one of the favorites, just I, I guess based on where we have him ranked and the sort of talent we believe he is. What do you think is going to happen with him? Because I feel like there are a number of prospects we have ranked pretty high where it wouldn't surprise me at all if these teams keep them down. Like if Adley Rutschman was up to start the year, I would be shocked just because of how they operate. And, and apparently his injury that he's too, dealing yeah. with now, like Bobby Wood Jr. It would, it wouldn't surprise me if he was the same, although I would be more um, expecting for the Royals to just put him up on day one. It seems like they just are fine to do that. Whereas some other teams might not. I think really. he, yeah, I think he'll be up. I think he'll be up. Yeah, it's just based on the reps he's getting at third base, what what their team has said previously about it. Like, I, I guess for me, if Bobby Wood Jr. is up, why is Adley Rutschman not up? Assuming health, I guess you could say he's he's injured. He can't be, but they should I both think, be ready, yeah. right? I, I I think had had Adley been a hundred percent, and and if he if he had been a hundred percent ready to go on opening day, I, I do think the Orioles would have just kept him down to manipulate yeah, his service time but um you know sort of a, a hypothetical i guess in, yeah at this point because he's he's not healthy right now so but should o'neill cruz be a guy who's up day one how would you that, how would you handle that situation see that one i i think that's a different situation where people are assuming that he is going to start the season in the minor leagues for service time manipulation purposes and especially when you have the pirates ownership and the pirates history, it's, it's, uh, it, it doesn't help, um, with that perception, but I, I don't know that he is ready to go right now. I mean, you have, it, it's a combination of like, where, where do you put him to and is his bat ready to stick every day in the big leagues without worrying about having to send him back down to triple a uh if he's if he's struggling so you don't really have i mean it, it's it's he's just so unusual right you have this six foot seven giraffe of a shortstop who seems like he might actually be able to handle shortstop right I mean, you have kevin newman at shortstop you have cabrian hayes at third base if, if you wanted to to slide him over there so you don't really have an opening yeah you're not moving Brian Hayes from third base yeah there's not like a clear opening right now there so you could put him in the outfield uh I mean maybe even center field he can run but you know you wouldn't want to I would not want to throw him out there even for a team that just has no hope of contending this year I'd be hesitant to just throw a guy out there especially as a rookie and then have the risk that he just is, you know, a little bit lost 
out there and has a bigger spotlight on him and, and his defense. So I, I would want to have him spend some more time. He's never played a game in the outfield. Yeah. And the other thing is it's all shortstop third base. Yeah. He, you know, he has about a hundred or so games at double a, um, but he, he barely has any triple a experience and he yeah, has last year. He played, I think just six games in triple a and he hit well, but yeah, it was just six games at that level at 63 games in double a in 2021. Um, and then in 2019, he had 35 games. So you're right. It's, it's a very limited amount of time at the upper levels trying to pull up what Bobby Wood Jr.'s numbers are because we're talking about him being ready day one. But it is yeah, like him versus or like Adley Rushman, too. And the difference, I mean, especially with with Adley Rushman, he he controls the strike zone so well. He's, he's so polished in terms of the decisions he makes at the plate and his ability, uh, you know, to swing at strikes and not expand the zone. Well, O'Neill Cruz in park is you know, he's like eight feet tall, right? He has an enormous strike zone, but also his approach is, is very swing heavy. Uh, there are things that he needs to improve as far as his, his pitch selection, his plate discipline. And I, I think he's somebody who, who probably would benefit from some time in AAA rather than making making the jump right away to, mm-hmm. to the opening day roster. Now, if you're, you know, again, watching him in spring training and you're seeing this guy who has, you know, I mean, he probably has 80 raw power. Um, you know, if you want to be conservative, you could put a 70 on it, but he, he is hitting the ball as hard as any human being on the planet right now, maybe with the exception of, of Stan, but it's, it's a, pretty good swing too for a, a such a is, is, is stan still the guy at the top i'm trying to think who like i feel like vladdy might be uh approaching that title i think his hard hit rate was maybe the best in baseball last year but i don't is know that if the, this was the like top um, end exit velocity. yeah or? i don't know if this was average exit velocity or what but I, i'd be curious to see if there is going to be a player who, who's coming for stan's crown that's already in the big leagues. Like I would guess Vladdy could do that. Maybe I'm way off. I'll pull up a board right here while you keep talking. Yeah. I mean, either way I I would give Cruz 80 raw power and it's a pretty good swing for, especially for somebody, his, his size, it looks beautiful when he's hitting bombs. Um, But I, I do think he is somebody where if, if they send him and I expect them to send him to triple a, to start the year, uh, that's one where I, I don't see it as outright service time manipulation. I mean, you know, I, I look back at what the Cubs did to Chris Bryant or, you know, George Springer. There's so many other, you know, and, and plenty of other examples to where it is. This is one where I, I just, I don't see this quite the, the same way. So I did pull up the max exit velocity leaderboard from 2021. Do you have any guesses for top 10? Stan is one still. So he's Stan there safely, the pretty comfortably ahead of the number two to four, I would say. A lot of Latin flavor here on this list overall. Yeah, I would um, think Vlad, Judge. I bet Cruz Vlad is, is eight, Judge is three. Cruz is probably up there. I mean, I don't know how many like 
what what you set the filter at. It's just but he default. hit a ball. So the qualifiers are two point one PAs per team okay. game for hitters. So he wouldn't because he hit a ball one eighteen, I think, last year. Yeah. Did we did we ha- hear any uh, anything about minor league hitters more than one eighteen? I feel like there was some ridiculous number. Whereas I was wondering if it was like a misread or if it was accurate. Maybe it was Jordan Walker because I know his exit velocities are just insane. But I feel like he he might be the guy that was closest that I'm thinking to of those crazy numbers. Yeah, he's yeah. Walker would be Walker. Walker would be very high up there. Mm-hmm. I don't have offhand the the, the top well, guys, but, but I know. I'll just Cruz. run down the list. If if you guys wanted to guess um, as you're listening along, if you've been thinking about the names, the the rest of the top ten are it goes Stan one, Manny Machado, Aaron Judge, Shohei Otani. Pete Alonso, Jorge Soler, Nelson Cruz, still up there, the one of the better older hitters of all time. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Jonathan Shope, and I opened up Jonathan, so we've got to scroll down a bit here. And Miguel Sano is number 10. So that's your top 10, just in terms of max exit velos from last year per Savant. I'm kind of surprised Fernando Tatis did not crack that, but he he's just outside at 14, so. Those are some big boys. Yeah. And I'm also uh, going to try and find the exit velo for Jordan Walker because I know his was pretty ridiculous. Yeah. It does seem like the the rookie of the year race is like way more stacked in the AL this year. It's crazy. Isn't like all five of our top prospects on our 100? I mean, yeah, you've got Witt, you've got Adley. You've got Julio Rodriguez, and then you got the Tigers duo with, I mean, take your pick between Torkels, mm-hmm. you know, Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green. I think if I were if, if there was just in which which we have a major league rookie of the year, so we have our own award. If I was just doing a combined one like that, uh, those that would be my top five before we even get to a National League player. Really quickly before I, I jump in here, I found Walker's his his max exit velo would have put him. It's like one sixteen. It would have put him basically right in between Bryce Harper and Josh Bell for nineteen on this list. If you just threw that into the big leaguers, which is pretty insane. Yeah. But yeah, no the the field for rookie of the year contenders is insane. I, I don't know, looking back at, at our list in previous years, if it's been this lopsided in terms of the prospects at the very top of our list for one league. Um, but it definitely makes it a little bit tough to to pick your rookie of the year candidate. Who, who did you take? I took Bobby Witt Jr., I think, and that was just because I was more confident he would be up sooner. Like, I think any of a, a J-Rod or an Adley or really either of the the Detroit guys would make sense. But I, I just had more confidence that Bobby would be up and, and he was the highest ranked player that I was confident would get the plate appearances to, to win the award. Yeah, I think he, he would be the bet if you're betting on playing time, although then you have somebody like Wander. You know, when you have these special players, which I would put Wander Franco certainly into that class. Is Wander uh, he, still, he could still win it? No, no, no. I, I just mean last year he came oh, up gotcha, gotcha. later in the process, yeah. and he was just so good. Mm-hmm. But he didn't win, and I think the playing time was a massive reason because I think on a per plate appearance basis, yeah. like he was the best rookie. But for a lot of people, like that playing time really mattered for the award. So I guess if you're 
if you're trying to decide who's going to be the most talented rookie versus who's going to trying to predict the award, which involves a lot more of like a meta analysis on like what the voters want to see when the players are going to be up, that, that might even be trickier than just voting for the most talented player who it's just like, take your pick of our top three on our board. Like, which is the guy that you think is the top player in baseball? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we might see or some prospect. of these guys stay down for a little bit, obviously some health stuff with Rushman right now, maybe some service time manipulation with some of these other players, but I think no, I don't expect any of these guys to spend too much time in the minor leagues this year. Like, well, what do you, what do you think about a guy like Julio? Because he's, he's one of the few of this group that we're talking about that hasn't played in AAA. Like, do you think that really matters for him? He, he's not reached the highest level, but he certainly controls his own better than a guy like Bobby Wood Jr. Has um, he's got less swing and miss concerns. And also his team is in a better spot where you'd think you'd want to push a guy uh, to help you compete. So, so where are you at on when he should be called up? If, if he's a guy who needs to be there opening day, if you think he needs more time, I mean, he just reached double a for the first time in 2021 had 46 games um, at that level and was phenomenal. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I think like, like you said, whereas O'Neill Cruz still has more work to do as far as his offensive approach. I think Julio Rodriguez is just an extremely polished hitter and is somebody who could make that, you know, Tatis type jump going from double A to the big leagues and having immediate success and, and being an immediate impact player. I, I think he's, he's that type of talent. Now, I, I don't know that he's going to be on the opening day roster. Obviously this is a, you know, we, we saw, we've seen this organization before, um, you know, keep players down to extend or, or to prevent their service time from starting. So that maybe end up being the case here, but I, I expect him. I, I don't think he needs much time in the minor leagues anymore. If, if any of it, um, so I, I I think he's a I think he's a very strong candidate to come out and just just rake right away. I, I think it's a, a great swing, a polished approach, and gigantic power. And I mean other good tools too on on the defensive side. He, he yeah. runs a lot better than people you also think. don't he have the defensive arm. like log jam questions that you could still have with the pirates and like wondering if he needs to play the outfield, whereas you can just kind of keep uh, Julio in the same position he's been playing and just run him out there. Yeah. I mean, and, and like you said, I, I think there's a team that I think rightfully expects to contend this year. So there's maybe some more urgency to, uh, you know, to get him up to the big leagues faster, um, you know, <laughs> than a team mm -hmm. like the the pirates where you're, you're trying to contend is still uh, in, uh, in a couple more years, at least. Yeah, the, the Mariners were actually the team that I chose for surprise team of the year. And I don't know if they, like, if you, if you wanted to argue that they didn't count as a surprise team, because they were quite good last year. And, like, I'm sure everyone is expecting them to take a jump. But the fact that they've, they've had such a long period um, without making it to the playoffs, because one of their better prospects came up last year in Jared Kelnick and, and really struggled. I pegged them just because I think Julio is going to be a – very important factor in what they do this year. I like some of the moves they made. Um, I like their lineup. I think they have a chance to have a really good lineup. 
Um, so I, I put them as a surprise team, but do you have any, I guess, first of all, do you think they should count as a surprise team entering 2022? Um, and after that, like, do you have a surprise team picked out already for this year? I think they won more games last year than the team that won the world series. So I'd be, Come on, man. If that, I don't know if that counts as a, as a I'm going off or the projections. I, the projections have them as like a 500 team, and I think they're going to be better than that. So that's my that's my rationale. I think yeah, I, I think that's fair. Where you know yeah, like if if you look at their underlying run differential last year, mm-hmm. they what they gave up more runs I think than than they allowed. So yeah, like, let's see, they <laughs> they had a minus 51 run differential. Um, they scored 4.3 per game and allowed 4.6. And let me just sort this differential. That was a, uh, like a bottom 12 team in the league, I think. Yeah. So I guess if you're looking at the Pythagorean standings 13, from 13th year there. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, no, know, I went deeper I, to make my pick for the spin. It was not just looking at the standings. We go into the hood for my picks. <laughs> I think the team. So I don't, I don't even think they're going to be a great team this year, but I, I think the team. That... So basically I picked a good team who I think is going to be great. And you picked a, a bad team that you think is going to be mediocre. It sounds like is happening here. I mean, you picked a 90 win <laughs> team to <laughs> a team, not a playoff team, though. a 90 win team with, with, good with team. The just good. If you don't make the playoffs baseball, um, just, yeah, well, whatever. Yeah. All right. Well, then my pick is I, I'm changing mine to the Blue Jays. Then okay. is that a, I'll take the Dodgers. <laughs> Dodgers will be mine. I think really with a bunch of new players in their lineup, they're going to mesh well chemistry wise in the clubhouse and really just find a way to um, to do well. You know, string together some wins. I I think the Angels are interesting. Because... I've given up on picking them, Ben. I've done it too many years and been burned. I can't. Yeah. I can't do it anymore. Keep keeping your hand away from. From yeah, that I'm stove. not. I'm not touching that. No, I. There, the first two or three years, I did this. I think I picked the Angels, and it never happened. So good luck. Your your pick is bound to not pan out. Tell me so why I, it's different this year. I think I think the expanded playoffs really help the Angels. That helps this everyone. Year. But but I I think what it, I mean it doesn't really help the Dodgers though. I don't I don't think it really helps like yeah, it a, helps a team that headaches for the Dodgers. If, if you're if you're a really good team, if you project to be a it a helps mediocre and bad team, teams. That 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 really is what it is. Is if you project to be a 500-ish team, like you know, the range of outcomes for you is you, you could certainly easily win, you know, 84, 85 games instead of 81. And you could get into the playoffs being in, you know, an 86 win team, maybe even worse than that now with, with the extra teams making the playoffs. So yeah, the I could first certainly... team out of the playoffs, if you took 12 teams last year, the, the eighth had 86 wins and they were 13th just in terms of wins. Um, yeah. I, I think that's certainly possible for the angels. I mean, you have, young players like you know brandon marsh and joe adele and i'm not necessarily counting on those guys to figure everything out but i think if if you just look at projection system based on performance right that they've yeah those are probably the biggest window of like like biggest margin for error for players yeah so you have more more growth opportunities there i think 
you know, if, if Anthony Rendon is healthy, right. Like major, I, I chose him as bounce back bounce back player of the year. Yeah, yeah, major caveat, obviously. In yeah, but he, that. Was, he, he was such a consistently great hitter, and there's reasons to mm-hmm. think that when he's healthy off these injuries, like he's not just going to lose that plate discipline that he's had. I, I think that's a good one. I would expect him to have a, a strong year. Maybe yeah. not like peak Anthony Rendon, but certainly like a quality bat to put in the middle of your lineup still. I mean, he when he's healthy, man, he's one of the best players in baseball. Obviously, he's getting into his 30s. Guys, generally don't get healthier into their thirties, but there's certainly a lot more upside than what they got out of him last year. You're, I mean, you're his, adding his, Noah's... his ops plus was 139, 137, 157, 150, 94 during an injury riddled season where he played 58 games. Like I would certainly expect him to come back and put up at least a few, I mean, 120 plus ops plus seasons. Like, that would make sense for me. I mean, look at a guy like Freddie Freeman, who's a couple years older, I think. Uh, 31 season. No, they're the same age. So, I mean, no one's expecting Freddie Freeman to just fall off a cliff because he's in his early 30s. But I guess the injury the injury factor is certainly different there. Yeah, but you're, you know, now you're adding uh, Noah Syndergaard to the rotation. Uh, you've got Reed Detmers coming, potentially. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm not like... I like Reed Detmers. What, what, what do you think Noah Syndergaard's going to give them this year? Because he's another, I, like, one of these high-variance types. If you well, hit on a couple of these guys, you could look pretty smart at the end of the day. But I'm just I mean, I'm just too snake-bitten by the Angels, man. I can't do it. I, I mean, I think you almost want those guys if you're the Angels. If if you're a 500-ish team, like, you you want that variance because you're, you know, if, if, if you just have a low-variance player with probably maybe more of a, a narrow band of outcomes – for them, then you probably win about 81 games and you don't make the playoffs and you get a mediocre draft pick. <laughs> Just you're, you're in that stuck in the middle mm-hmm. range. But if, you know, there's more, there's just more upside for them where they just the, the marginal value of a win is so much greater. Now, if you're, if, you know, if you project to win, you know, 80 something games, now you have a pretty reasonable chance to get into the playoffs and once you're, you know, once you're into that mm-hmm. tournament, anything can happen in these small series, these small windows. And I mean, I'm not like rooting for anybody really, but I would certainly love to see Mike Trout. Having Mike Trout and Otani in the playoffs, playoffs would game. be, yeah. I think, I think everyone should be able to root for that, right? Like you're not really rooting for a team. You just want to see I, I just two see of the Mike biggest Trout stars in, in baseball in the playoffs. Yeah. yeah. That's oh, fair. I mean, you're not sacrificing your uh, your journalistic integrity with that one, I don't think. Well, I, I just, I mean, it's certainly, I mean, having Otani starting a playoff game is, mm-hmm. gives you a pretty strong chance to win. But just, I mean, think how good Trout has been. And his postseason career is what, like three games? I mean, he's been in yeah, two separate series in the playoffs and one of those was a wild card game, I believe. Let me try and find his playoff stats. Yeah, I, the, the Angels have not been to the playoffs in a good six, seven years, I think. It, it's so it's been yeah, a while. actually, it was worse than I thought. He's only been in one playoff series. It was 2014, the American League Division Series um, between uh, them, the Angels, and the Royals, and they lost all three games. And Mike Trout collected one hit and 12 at-bats. It was a home mm. run. 
that could be is that cause for concern i think Mike it's Trout really really bad for his hall of fame odds to be honest <laughs> he's probably not going to cut it he just doesn't have enough win probability added in the postseason so i don't think he's going to make it yeah the clutch hitter stuff wait let's not get into that man <laughs> Agreed. You know what? I reject your I reject your team here because guess who is projected to be a better team than my Mariners pick that apparently doesn't count to everyone in the world? The Angels. They're projected to be two games better than the Mariners. So I have a really a deeper cut pick for this category. Is that the Fangraphs projection? How many how many wins do they have for each team? They have <laughs> they have uh, the Angels projected to go eighty two and eighty. And they have the Mariners projected as an 80 and 82 team. So you chose a winning team and I chose a below 500 team. So I have the deeper cut. Well, that's, that's just the projections on paper. Yeah, that's true. But you know, I'll take it. You guys send us your sleeper teams. If you have any that are deep cuts, if you got any A's or D backs or pirates picks uh, that you're really high on those teams or, or others, but yeah, send us your thoughts on the season. Um, any hot takes or predictions for rookie of the year for MVPs for comeback players, a lot of that stuff. We'll have our crystal ball out in the near future with um, predictions from a lot of our staff on a lot of these categories. D- did you want to touch on any of the other ones, Ben? Um, since it's something that we've finished up here on the editorial side, and I guess I'm just waiting for, for it to be published online. Do you know when that's going to happen? Probably, probably next week. I mean, the okay. season is, is is it coming it's crazy. Upon how us. close how close is it are we a few weeks away that's crazy yeah it's uh it's awesome I, I, it's still crazy it always it does strike me always when, when we say things like this player exceeded uh projections mm-hmm. when like really it should just be well the, the projections were just too low on this player mm-hmm like it, it up with the nerds, Ben. I don't. I can't <laughs> fight this fight for them. What's? It's not even. It's not. You know. It's. It's not about. I mean, it could be the same thing with you know doing it. it it's not about how you project the player from just going off of performance data versus doing it from more of a you know a scouting perspective. It's. It's just the idea of well, this this player uh, or, or this player outperformed expectations. Well, no, the the expectations were probably just too low on this player. Or it's probably like this was the the median outcome and there were other outcomes factored in at like a 90th percentile outcome that he just hit. Like, yeah, I don't think the projection is just as simple as like, this is what he's going to be. And it's either right or wrong, right? Like, it's a little more complicated than that. I guess, yeah. what, what's your what's your take here? Are you like, if, if the election predictors get it wrong, then they were just wrong with, with their polling? Is that what you're talking no, about? I, I just think the way we the way we phrase it sometimes gives more mm-hmm. weight to like what the projection is than what the outcome is. Okay. So you're saying that instead of basically we just phrase it differently. So the projections were too light on this player. Yeah. What if what if next year he comes crashing back down to earth and is is in line with the projections for the next five years? Would you if say the, he's playing above his head for a year and it was an outlier year? How would you how do you go about that? Uh, it, it would depend on okay. on the circumstances. Gotcha. What's I'm your sure World surprised. Series prediction? Uh, I think I'm going. I think the Blue Jays are the team to beat right now. Blue Jays in the American really? League. That's dude. They. I agree with you. I I have them projected to the World Series, but I I chose the Dodgers over them. 
This Dodgers team is insane. I think I have the same exact thing. Yeah, we had, I looked through it. We had way too many common takes and it's not good for a podcast. We need to have much more diverse opinions between the two of us. But yeah, how do you, I don't understand how, if we're doing these predictions, how you don't take the Dodgers. There were a few people who didn't. Most, most people still took the Dodgers on our staff. And I'm assuming when all of these come out for, for all the other outlets, like the Dodgers will be overwhelming favorites. I just don't understand how you like, what's the ration, unless you just want to get a little cute with it and you don't want to have a mainstream take, or you just say, Hey, the playoffs are random. So who knows? I'm going to take a playoff team and pick them at random. Like that makes sense because of how the playoffs work. But like, I just couldn't get behind the rationale for that. Just with how good this Dodgers team is on paper, they took their lineup and they added Freddie Freeman to it. That's insane. Yeah. They're, they're just going to be, a juggernaut team again. Mm-hmm. I, I do think the Mets are going to be really, really good. That's one year. that I'm interested in too, because a lot of people are high on them. I, I feel like for the past few years, a lot of the projection systems have been too high on them. So maybe like you said, the, yeah, like, like you said, the projections were too high on them. They didn't out, they didn't underperform. The projections were just wrong, but they're going to be interesting. Hopefully the NL East is just better in general this year. It'd be, it'd be cool to see, the Braves and Mets going back and forth the entire year. Um, the, the concern that I have with them is their lineup is just very old. But again, one of the best pitching, one of the best starting rotations that you're going to see. I mean, having Max Scherzer or DeGrom, whichever is two, I would imagine Sir, Scherzer is the two in that rotation, right? Uh, I don't know. It's great. Like with, with what DeGrom has done with New York, him, him being displaced, out of that number one spot would be crazy, but I guess Scherzer is on a very short list of pitchers who could reasonably do that to him. I don't know how that'll work, but I mean, how, how is DeGrom not going to be the opening day starter if he's healthy and ready to go? I think, yeah, I, I think he probably will be just being the incumbent there. I'll probably yeah, stick right? with that. The, the other team I, I could see going with, and I don't, I mean, I don't think they're as good, mm-hmm. right? But is this but, for world series? Yeah, for World Series yeah. pick is if, if you just want to go with like the greatest the greatest odds of getting into the playoffs. I mean, I'd probably still go with the Dodgers because they're just so good and mm-hmm. in the expanded playoffs. But the the Brewers, man, like the, mm-hmm. the NL Central is just really soft. Yeah, right now, like both the Central divisions seem a lot weaker than the Coastals. Yeah, take out like the Pirates, the Reds, like the Cubs are not. I don't think gonna compete this year like all right like you got the cardinals but do the cubs have harder throwing pitchers in the rotation this year <laughs> it's uh, uh they're uh, i don't think <laughs> this is the year for them but uh i could be wrong we can you can yeah. play this back in november when well, they're i think another team that i just want to mention is is the rays like they never get the love they probably deserve in the preseason because every year they're in a division where teams are making very splashy moves uh, and, and they just quietly year in year out produce a, a competitive team. So like if this was the year they finally like got there and then won it, it wouldn't really surprise me. Maybe it would surprise other people just with the amount of love we're giving the blue Jays for everything they've done this off season with the team, the Yankees have like, there are a lot of teams like that division specifically looks like an absolute juggernaut, but I mean, the Rays are there every year. They put quality teams together Wander Franco could take another big step, and I'm really expecting him to. Um, 
so yeah, if, if, if again, I view them similar to the Dodgers in terms of the product they put on the field every year in terms of just the operation they run. So I, I feel like we have to mention the Rays. Yeah, I don't think anybody in baseball is really sleeping on the Rays. No, sleeping on them, but just in terms of like World Series picks, like I feel like they never are actually picked, but they're always in the hunt. So I just wanted to throw a little love the Rays way. Yeah, yeah. There's no like splashy, I guess, moves that they they no. made, but but have I think having a full season of Franco. I mean, I I think he's I think he's somebody who could be in that. You know, Soto, Vladdy, mm-hmm. Acuna, like come up and very, very quickly be one of the top 10 players in the league. I mean, it's a, it's a different skill set than, um, you know, I think people those... are going to be people who have not paid attention to prospects, like just more, more of the casual fans who are focused on the major league game. I think they might be surprised with the power numbers that Franco starts to put up. I, I think that's going to come for him very quickly. Yeah, yo, know, I think the certainly the bat speed and the power is in there. Um, I think he's, yeah, like I said, I, I think he's going to be one of the just one of the elite players mm-hmm. in the American League right away. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to just go through this and make sure there's not anything else I want to bring up in terms of just predictions. It's it's cool that we're finally at a point where we can start talking about this stuff. Um, how much do you anticipate talking about the big leagues as we get rolling in the season, Ben? Obviously, this podcast is focused on on prospects, but it'll be nice to have Major League Baseball rolling again. Yeah, yeah, we always just kind of talk about everything that comes up in the in the baseball world. So yeah. it's well, I think I am done with the crystal ball. There's nothing else, unless there's something that that you. Um you think that we've skipped out on that I want to touch on, but I, I did want to make a bit of a hard pivot and go from the big leagues to our underclass list. There was a prospect recently who announced he was reclassifying from the 2024 high school class to the 2023 high school class. He seems like a bit of a unique athlete in this class and that's George Wolkow. Um, and correct me if I'm pronouncing that name wrong, Ben, but can you just yeah, take George? Us- that's correct. <laughs> Can you just take us through that that move and tell us a little bit about what kind of a prospect Wolkow is, um, what we should be expecting? Because, I mean, we, we see it every year now. There are, there are kids who are reclassifying and, and joining the class as, as younger players, Kim Collier, Walter Ford, two very prime examples in the current class. Um, and it seems like George is, is the first one in the 2023 class that I'm aware of. Yeah, so on on the on future projection, we only talk about players who are five, seven and under or six, seven mm-hmm. or exactly. taller. So, yeah. you know, Wolkow, six foot seven, um, third baseman slash, you know, corner outfielder from Illinois He's in the 2024 class, uh, reclassified, like you said, to 2023. He, I, I saw him last summer, the first time I saw him, I was like, oh my God, like, who is this absolute monster of a human being? Um, he was, you know, it was an event for mostly 2023s. I couldn't believe he was 2024, took BP, and it's a, a really good swing for somebody his size. He has the power you would expect from somebody with that, you know, type of build. So I, I think if you're you know, if you think of like Caden Grice at Clemson, um, you know, six foot six, left-handed, 
power hitter with a, a pretty good swing, uh, you know, a chance for if, you know, not top of the scale raw power, then, mm. then close to it by, by the time he gets to his, uh, you know, physical prime years that, um, you know, and that power comes with some swing and miss. So that'll be something that all the scouts are going to be mm-hmm. watching from, you know, f- you know, from both those guys. But uh, the f- yeah, when I saw him, I was like, this is like a big, like Jordan Alvarez looking <laughs> dude. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a, uh, it's pretty, pretty exciting. So um, yeah, I mean, those, those guys you mentioned like Collier and Walter Ford, um, you know, they reclassified like later mm-hmm. in in the process, right? Like Ford came yeah, Collier after- would have been uh, right in the middle of the summer, I believe, or, or much closer to the summer. And then Ford was in the fall, I believe, late fall of their, like going into their senior years. Right. So he, and, and now Wolkow is doing it. He had, they had played one game when mm-hmm. he made his uh, announcement to, to reclassify in, um, you know, in Illinois. So now everybody, you know, it, it just, it does give, uh, you know, it, it sort of takes away some, I guess, optionality where, you know, like somebody like Walter Ford could have said, well, all right, I'm going to, you know, take this summer and, and then sort of reevaluate after, whereas he's going into it and saying, no, I, I'm going into the summer ready to go for the 2023 draft. So everybody's going to yeah, go out. It certainly and, makes and it easier him. for the scouts. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to, you know, have a guy, you, you know, you need to prioritize more um, during the, during the summer where, you know, for Cam Collier and, and Collier was at a lot of the big events anyway, but all right, mm-hmm. you're seeing him now playing all yeah. the time in Juco and he's tearing it up at one of the top Juco programs in, in the country. But for somebody like Wolkow, it's, it's more important because otherwise you're, you know, if you miss him over the summer and you're not really bearing down on him, then you're waiting for spring looks at him against Illinois high school pitching, which, you know, is, is not, um, you know, ideal for um, evaluating and, and making um, decisions relative to seeing these guys against top yeah. or better competition over the summer with wood bats, um, all that. But um, yeah, I mean, this is a, a, another exciting uh, reclass for, for next year's draft. So I saw Andre Madugno, who is also in the 2024 class. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought he was massive when I saw him with IMG. He and I was shocked when he was a 2024. <laughs> and he's listed at, as like 40 pounds lighter and two inches shorter than Wolkow, who I've not seen in person, just video uh, that you have been. How would you compare those two in terms of like power right now? Because I know... Andres is one of the bigger power bats in the 24 class was was Wolkow kind of in a, a tier of his own in terms of power or were there a couple guys who who maybe had a case for it based on your info at the time no and I, th- I think and these guys were teammates too with that Canes national team mm-hmm. over the summer last year I guess they won't be this well, year imagine just how old would they have been 15 Wolcott, yeah, Wolcott was 15. So imagine you're a, just imagine you're just like an average 15 year old travel ball kid and you come up against a team that has a six foot five, 200 pound player and a six foot seven, 230 pound player on the other team. Yeah. No shot. And they, and they had, they had Owen Pano 
a shortstop who's six three. Um, what's his? Oh man, uh, PJ Morlando, who's you know a catcher and a first baseman, also six uh, three. Yes, I mean all these guys are on our top list for two thousand twenty four. You're so. saying the Canes had good players? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were. Uh, <laughs> I mean, phys- their physicality obviously stood out, but yeah, Modugno is. I mean, just a. He's a he's a freak, man. Like you said, the size and the and the athleticism and the tools. Um, I mean, he his tools are right up there with anybody um, in that 2024 class, both for the present tools and I mean, future, too. I mean, he's he's six, five. He's a really good athlete. He can he can run surprisingly well for his size with how he moved when I saw him just a very small look. Yeah, he's like a like a sleek athlete, man. He can he can run, he can really throw, uh, and he has he might have bigger raw power, I think, than Wolkow. And there's probably I'm I'm certain there's more coming because there's a lot more space to fill out. Um, I like Wolkow's swing more. You know, both of them have uh, you know strikeouts that that come with that power that they're going to have to. Uh, you know, cut down on and it's something scouts are going to be looking at really hard. Uh, but just as far as physicality, athleticism, raw tools, I mean, you could make a case, well, cows, or excuse me, that uh, Doug knows are, um, you know, maybe even better than anybody else's in, in that class. Yeah, they will be very fun to, to see and to watch. I can't imagine what they're going to look like in five years when they, just add more strength to their already massive frames. But um, I, I wanted to touch on another very tall player. Like you said, we only talk about the tallest players or the shortest players on this podcast, but another one of your favorites, and this is a pitcher from Illinois. I know you were, you were downplaying the Illinois pitching, but uh, Noah Schultz is apparently looking pretty electric early this spring. We had him near the back of the first round. Um, and on our to-do list that we do every year for like the top 30 or 32 players in the country, we just kind of go over areas where they need to improve or solidify their games to either retain their draft stock or improve it. And it feels like Schultz, after some of the early outings and the feedback we're getting from scouts from that outing, has checked off both those boxes. After touching, I think he was touching 93, 94 at peak last summer. In his, one of his first starts, he was 93 to 97 with some rumors about 98s as well. And for a guy who is six foot nine from the left side with the spin rates that he has on the fastball, like the depth of his breaking ball, which also has increased in power, it was like a mid 70s slurvy pitch with a ton of depth, but lacked power. Now it seems like that power is coming. He also showed a really good feel for a changeup, which was the second. Um, to-do list item for him that the first two were add physicality, physicality and power. The second was add or, or show confidence in a changeup. And it really feels like he's checked off both those boxes. And if he keeps, he doesn't have to touch 97, 98 consistently, but if he's throwing in the mid nineties consistently, he's going to be flying up draft boards. I'm sure he already is. And from a, a difficult slot, like there's deception there. It just looks like an absolute nightmare and it's touch that, and feel too for, yeah with yeah like you said too with with good body control for somebody who is as young and as tall and lanky 
as he is, he's he's not just it's not like you know, I got Dellen Patances when he was in the minor leagues and you know having trouble with control and, and just keeping everything coordinated. He he seems like he already has that, and now you're adding power. I mean, it's not like he was a soft tosser before, no. right? He was, yeah, but, he was still like getting into the low 90s regularly. But when you compare him to the other pitchers in this class in the same range on our rankings, almost all the other guys threw harder at peak. So it was certainly a, a way to differentiate them when you're talking about guys getting drafted this year. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's tough to come like. You know, compared to like Frank Mazzucato, I'm thinking who went, you know, in the top 10, certainly maybe not top 10 on, on talent, but like the raw stuff <laughs> is, is better than him. Um, uh, the scary thing too, is I don't, I don't think this is it as far as the no velocity. I mean, he still has so much projection remaining, like on his frame, like it's, he's not even close to filled out. Yeah. He's got like this, like, I'm not saying he's Randy Johnson, but with that, with that like hair too, he's got that same kind of look mm-hmm. and that angle. Like you go like Andrew Miller, I guess too, would be a little lighter yeah. on, uh, <laughs> yeah, if you don't want to throw out the hall of fame comp and, and keep the, keep the hair too. Josh but, are just um, shaking his fist now listening to this podcast with that comp you threw up in. No yeah. Comps. Well, I, I mean, I just mean from, it's like that type of yeah angle mm-hmm. and delivery and just nightmare. I think Chris for, sale is one that we've heard frequently for him. Mm. yeah it's and and it's i mean it's it's good stuff the the projection is there for it to continue to tick up it's good when you're seeing it trend in the right direction too like you can see the raw spin on on the breaking ball is there it's it seems like just a matter of Mm -hmm. continued refinement and you would certainly show it i mean in in flashes last summer I, i thought it was at times one of the better breaking balls in the yeah, class the sh- certainly i feel like the shape of the side. pitch was always there like the depth of it like he felt it it seemed like he had good feel to spot it uh and to throw it against lefties and righties and it was just you wanted to see the velocity tick up because for like a primary breaking ball i think he calls it a slider maybe it's actually like mm-hmm. more into that slider typical slider velocity range but just in terms of separation from the fastball it's maybe still in that curveball or slurvy range um, but yeah. i don't really care what he calls it or what what people call it I think it has the depth um, to miss a lot of bats and to make hitters really uncomfortable, whether you're a righty or a lefty, just the angle that you're talking about with his height, his arm slot, and now the power you can't like, you have such a a smaller window now when he's throwing 96 versus when you have a little bit more time when it's in the 90, 92 mile per hour range. So, I mean, and the changeup I think is important too, especially for a left-handed pitcher. Like you really want your left-handed pitchers to have a reliable changeup if they're profiling as a starter. You're going to face way more right-handed hitters. It's a lot easier, certainly, to hit the breaking ball out of a lefty's hand as a right-handed hitter than a left-hander. Um, so that that's certainly key for scouts. Um, and the fact that he is showing it and showing really good touch and feel with that pitch that maybe you expect considering the touch and feel he showed with the fastball and breaking ball, but certainly nice to have that rounded out repertoire. And he is a He's a massive up arrow um, for the 2022 draft at this point. And we wrote about him in uh, the stock watch this week. So again, I'll link that in the show notes and you can read more about Schultz, a few other high school pitchers who are trending up uh, a few pop-ups and risers on the West coast. And then 
JJ did as JJ does and dove into a junior college pitcher who's also trending up in a big way. So a lot of stuff in there if you want to catch up. So we have, I mean, we still have Dylan Lesko mm -hmm. as the number one pitcher yeah. in this class, um, high school right-handed pitcher from, um, uh, from Georgia. Do you think there's a case for Schultz as the, as a number two pitcher in this class? I mean, it seems like it's all kind of high school <laughs> arms in yeah. uh, at least in that conversation right now with so many injuries to the, I mean, I've already talked to arms. scouts that have it like that. So I think there certainly is, if I'm hearing it from scouts who think that there's a chance that Schultz is the second pitcher, then certainly, I mean, I think right now it is, teams are going to have to figure out like how high are you on Jackson Ferris and Brandon Barriera? It's been very difficult to get any sort of consensus on how to line those lefties up. Maybe Schultz's is new velocity makes that a lot easier uh, in addition to his height. Um, maybe as he continues to show this kind of stuff over a few more outings. So people kind of know it's, it's not just a one-time thing. Maybe he'll solidify himself as the top lefty in the class. Uh, then you still have Brock Porter, who I think entering the year was probably the consensus or close to consensus arm in the high school class. And given the injuries that we had on the college side, he kind of bumped up into just the second arm overall on our list. I am very curious to see. I haven't heard a lot about Porter yet. I don't know if his season has gotten going quite yet, or I haven't heard feedback on, on his, if he has started throwing just yet. So I'd be interested to see how hard he's throwing. Cause it wouldn't surprise me at all. If Porter came out and was throwing hundred miles per hour, he was pretty close to that last summer. He's really strong. Um, I know he wants to throw hard. He's got a really good breaking ball. He's got a changeup that has, has gotten great, similar to, to Dylan Lesko. So I, I think you could certainly make a case for it now if you wanted to. I, I don't know that I'd go as far as saying it's like a consensus number two arm in the class. I think there's still a lot of pitchers who are kind of right in that range, um, but he's certainly closer to that today than he was a few weeks ago. And it wouldn't surprise me if, I mean, I'm very curious to see how many pitchers, how many high school pitchers are going to go before we see our first college pitcher at this rate. Like I'm just yeah. looking down our list right now. We have <laughs> Lesko. Could be like five. We have Lesko, Porter, Ferris, Brandon Barriera, Schultz, and then Blade Tidwell, who hopefully Tidwell is coming back soon. It sounds like he's he's near his return. If he comes back and pitches well, maybe he shoots up and he gets into that top 10 range just because there are really no other college pitchers who are starting and healthy. Uh, I mean, Landon Sims was pitching himself into that range before he got hurt. Probably not going to happen in that range now. I mean, maybe a guy like Connor Prelip comes back closer to the draft and throws before, and people just remember what he did his freshman and, and briefly as a sophomore. And he's in that range. But outside of that, I really don't know who the, who the guy could be to go up in this range on the college side, unless we're talking about like some sort of undercut situation. So, yeah, I mean, we're going to have a lot of high school pitchers, but I, I think it's pretty safe to say that Dylan Lesko is still on a tier of his own right now. Yeah. And then we still have guys like Walter, we talked about Ford mm -hmm. before and yeah. Tristan Smith and Cole Phillips is moving, yep. moving his way up. So um, yeah, high school pitching is really good, man. Yeah. The, especially those, I mean, it's, you know, Schultz versus those other lefties like Ferris and, and Barriera. Whereas before, you know, you could certainly say, all right, well, Ferris 
barrier and a throw with more throw with more power right now coming into the year, right? At, at the start of 2022 compared to Schultz. So you can say maybe there's some more now stuff there, but now I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's tough now because I think you could make the case that that Schultz also showed better command than both those two last summer. I know Ferris has done it prior to that, but it, it was a little bit shakier for him in that department last summer, specifically when all of the national guys would have been bearing down on him. Maybe like barriers, breaking ball more, maybe like Ferris's change up a little more, but I don't know there for, for all these guys, they have nits you can pick and areas that you can critique a little bit outside of really let's go. Um, and I think that's probably why he's, he's kind of the top guy there. Yeah. That's what, I mean, that's what stands out to me too, where you can say, I mean, you just compare the control for, you know, Ferris compared to to Schultz, uh, at least that we've seen so far. I like Schultz there and Barriere. would, you know, I, I guess you could argue maybe his breaking ball over Schultz, but I, I really like Schultz's breaking ball too. And then, you know, when a team is lining it up, it's just as far as where they get drafted. You have one who's a 5'11 lefty and barriera with probably just not as much physical upside compared to schultz at six nine with some more room to fill out and shoot man he might throw 100 miles an hour yeah too so that's and three of these pitchers we're talking about here are vanderbilt commits so i'm sure gonna that, say that's gonna factor into like how how strongly these players are committed to the program what their price tag is unfortunately those money games they make such a, a big it's such a factor in the draft and so where you go isn't all like i mean you guys know how the the draft works it's it's a little bit wonkier there's no hard slotting it's not just like here's the top talent let's line them up um but it'll be interesting to see how many of these vandy commits get to campus i feel like one is going to sneak through there are just so many high school pitchers here and if you are willing to take a high school pitcher in the top two rounds, teams are certainly going to be looking to see what that price tag is. How expensive is it going to be? Wouldn't shock me at all. If there's a player who like, I mean, we just saw it with Jack lighter. He was a consensus first round talent coming out of high school, strong commit to Vanderbilt. It really paid off for him. And he was the highest paid, I believe highest paid player in this draft the last year as the number two pick. So one of these players is more multiple are going to look at that and say, Hey, I could, I'm being picked in the teens here. It's a little bit over slot or in the twenties here. I feel like I could go to Vanderbilt. They, they pump out pitching prospects. If I perform there, I've got a chance to be a top five pick in a few years. So I'm certainly, that's certainly going to be going through their heads and it's certainly going to be a factor that that'll kind of change where they're going to land. Yeah. When you said some of these guys might end up at school, my knee jerk reaction was like, there's no chance. Like <laughs> a lot of these guys are going to be, first round picks mm. and that's that's going to be the end of that yeah. but yeah i mean you're right jack lighter got to campus got he went to vanderbilt yeah i mean i'm Lamar sure Kamar rocker too he was the was highest ranked. Say rocker yeah yeah rocker was the highest since we started doing recruiting rankings he was the highest ranked player who made it to campus and i would i don't know this for a fact but i'd be willing to to bet a lot of money that if he was if he was willing to take slot in the first round he would have been picked in the first round i'm sure it was his price tag was too high he knew he could go to campus at Vanderbilt and continue just dominating and do well for himself a few years later. So it, it definitely happens. Um, I mean, every year there are players who, who don't go in the first round, not because of talent, but because they had high 
prices that, that they thought they were worth and teams either didn't think they were worth it or weren't willing to pay out of high school for the risk. So certainly a factor. They also have Andrew Dukanich who like, I mean, we're not even it's talking insane. about yet, but like he would be like, the, if you were just building a rotation of mm-hmm. Vanderbilt commits in this class, he'd be well, look at Vanderbilt's rotation right now. Starter. They're like, they're like piggybacking starters who are going to rank very well on our, or already do rank very well in our underclass list. And they're piggybacking them in a rotation because they have so many of them and they need to get them innings. Like Christian little is coming out of the bullpen. It's crazy. How many, how many good pitchers they have. They have, yeah, their, their class is pulling up right now. Drew Jones, Dylan Lesko, Brandon Barriera, Noah Schultz, Andrew Dukanich, Sal Stewart, Ryan Clifford, Carson Milbrandt, RJ Austin. Those are Those all players are... who we have like in the top 100 range. That's pretty nutty. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to get them all. Certainly if, if Drew Jones is playing at Vanderbilt next year, I would be a bit surprised. Um, what an outfit yeah, they, that would be. <laughs> they got they got Max Clark for 2023, but yeah, I don't it's, think, it's nice to have these commits on <laughs> <That's> paper. Not... <laughs> I don't think they're imagine an outfield with Drew Jones, Enrique Bradfield, and Max Clark. How are you lining those guys up? Dude, just just Where are you playing them. Just yeah, holy <laughs> Drew Jones is my center fielder. Uh, it's crazy to say with Enrique Bradfield how good he is. I'd probably put Bradfield in left and Max in right just because of the arm strength. That's probably what I would do. What are you going to do? I think I'd go. I think I'd stick with Bradfield and in, in center, just being wow. more advanced and more experienced. Wow! Right now, no, man, Drew's the best defensive center fielder that maybe I've seen. Tim or PCA, like the way to scouts talk about him, I I don't I don't think that he's going to be lacking on instincts out there. Yeah, I don't know, man. Bradfield's. I mean, Bradfield's an eighty runner. Maybe yep. a 90 runner, like yep. he's got plenty of plenty of range out there himself. I'd love to be a pitcher with those guys behind you. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So uh yeah, so we think Vanderbilt's gonna be pretty good. Yeah. Still. Sleeper, sleeper team yeah. for next that's, year. Vanderbilt that's, your... <laughs> <laughs> that's my sleeper team. <laughs> oh man. Anything else, Ben? We have any questions today you want to dive into? Uh yeah, you want to take some listener questions? Yeah, let's do it. Let's look at what we got here. Um, Doug from Instagram asks, who are some starting pitching prospects without MLB experience you think could make an opening day roster? That is a good one With in, in line with all the stuff we're talking about today. Do you have any off the top of your head? I've got a few, but I need to double check and make sure they don't have MLB experience. I don't think they do, but I'll just check here. So, Oh, so I can't take like Aaron Ashby. I can't take thrown? him. Yeah, league. so he has major league experience, so I couldn't take. Wait, how many innings has he thrown? Uh, he's got like, I want to say like 20, 30 off the top of my head. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, he came in. I mean, dude, I, I think he could be. Well, he did. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it happens this year. I guess I'm cheating on this question right You're now. You're cheating like, on all of your questions, man. Um, probably because I should look at the questions before <laughs> we take, take them to, to prepare, but. Um, I like, you know, he, he does have major league experience, so mm-hmm. he doesn't fit technically for, for this, but I, I do think he can follow that sort of Burns Woodruff mm-hmm. path that the Brewers have taken, whether it's going to be in a starting role right away or, or a relief role to start out. Um, 
he, he does have to tighten his fastball command, but I mean, the stuff across the board could be, you know, three true plus or better pitches, power fastball up to, I think, 99 from, from the left side. I think the Brewers have done a tremendous job over the years with, with pitching. I, I think he's somebody where if, if that command does get dialed in this year, I, I think he could be, um, you know, he, he could be a number two starter at some point mm-hmm. in the, in the near future. I don't know if it all clicks for him right away again, just because of that command that still needs to come, but he's man, I'm, I'm excited. The two guys that I thought of first is Nick Lodolo. He's not pitching the big leagues, right? I think he just got up to triple mm-hmm. He would be one that I look to and say, yeah, he's, he's pretty much ready. I don't know what other refinement he needs to do. He's a really good pitcher. Stuff is held up where, well, the slider's good. He's not going to overpower guys with the fastball, but I think he'll do a lot of things really well. I think the Reds team are probably in a position where he could throw a lot of innings for them this year. And then the other one that I thought of was, and probably this is just because I did the Twins list, but Josh Winder is one. Um, if he's healthy, I know he had issues with shoulder last year, issues with shoulder fatigue, but he is on the 40-man for Minnesota at this point. Their rotation... They've, they've added some pieces to it, but I think this was always a, a rotation that I expected to see a lot of reinforcements from some of these top 10 pitching prospects. And, and he would be a guy who has not pitched at the major league level yet that I think could, if, if this question is specifically for opening day, I guess that depends on his health, but I think he, he's close to ready. Um, so those would be two that I, I just think of immediately for that. Um, Dr. Solomon on Instagram asks, is going to a showcase at 13 useful? Let's say no. I don't. Yeah, think I there's... think I think travel ball would be useful and like playing good competition would be useful, but like a showcase specifically, I don't I don't know what you're like what is the goal? Are you trying to get seen? Because if you're just trying to get seen at that age, I, I think probably no if you think that a showcase like you're going to improve somehow, like I don't think the showcase environment is is where you really do that. No, I, I think like if you're thinking, Oh, we want a major league scout to see my, you know, my son who's 13, none of them are going to go like they, they don't yeah, care. You're at those it, events and they're, they're not there. It's yeah. <laughs> it's, it's uh yeah, no, no, nobody, focusing on the major leagues is um you know going to see somebody who's 13 or not seeing those players it's it's just not um it's 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 way too young um you know like carla said if you're trying to develop and get better i'm i'm all for playing games and playing in tournaments and and trying to play against better competition i think that's always a a good thing uh, for players. And, and if you're trying to, uh, you know, think about, you know, co- college, a scholarship or something like that, uh, you know, I, I certainly understand the, um, maybe some of the, the pressure t- that, that uh, you might feel with, you know, these colleges are, are recruiting players and, who are in eighth grade and, and ninth grade and, and stuff like that. But, um, you know, the odds are like, if, if you're that good, 
And at that age where, where a college is already recruiting you and trying to get you to commit to their program, you're probably going to be that good by the time you're a sophomore or, or a junior in college. And there's just no, there's no rush to, to do that. Um, all committing does it. I mean, it takes you out of being able, I mean, you can always decommit, I suppose, but it, it really just limits you from, um, you know, weighing your options when you're older and, and more mature and, and able to make, uh, you know, a decision on, on what the best fit is for you. So going to, going to a showcase at that age, I don't think it really brings much of, um, of any benefit, but, um, you know, I'm also not going to tell anybody how to spend their money. So, <laughs> you know, if, if you've, if you want to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on it, um, uh, you know, I guess that's, you know, people make those decisions, but, uh, cer certainly not necessarily, or, or even something I would recommend it at that age. Yeah. I'd, I'd pretty much agree. There plenty of, plenty there. of time. Yep. Uh, Jim on Instagram asks, which non-top 50 draft prospect is your personal favorite this year? Um, just scrolling down our list, I think one of the guys that I always find myself liking a lot more than where we have him is Jonathan Cannon. Um, I just really like college pitchers who have fantastic command, and this is what Cannon has been since he's been at Georgia. The first time I saw him, I think I went to see Emerson Hancock and Cole Wilcox. He was an underclassman. I saw him out of the bullpen, and I really just liked his arm action. I liked his breaking ball at the time. Uh, I think I've cooled a little bit on that slider, but he's pitched really well this year. I know he doesn't have the fastball, that like riding life that, that everyone is really in love with now. He's a ground ball pitcher, and that's just really not a profile that that is super sexy in this current era of baseball, but... I just feel like this is the type of pitcher who teams can have a lot of success with guys who you don't have to worry about their pitch mix to start their command to start. He's got a great six foot six frame, 213 pounds room for more strength in the future. I think it's a really clean arm action. I like how he's able to go in and out with, with all of his stuff. It really seems like he's an advanced pitcher who tries to pitch to contact when he gets runners on, he gets out of, um, sketchy situations a lot because he's able to induce so many ground balls. I think he's a guy who could get into the, into the pro game and either increase the velocity of his fastball or change the shape of a few of his pitches to miss more bats. Um, and, and just with some of the things that teams have been able to do to kind of unlock pitchers like Jonathan Cannon, I like him. And also just after watching him the first time, I just found myself very much liking that profile. And I think, He's been the SEC pitcher of the week two times now this season. It's a good year to go after that award, considering all of the injuries, certainly. Um, but I believe he's near the top of all of college baseball in strikeout to walk ratio. He has 37 strikeouts and just one walk over 34.1 innings, five starts, 1.83 ERA. So I do think he's probably a guy who a lot of the maybe analytics forward scouts or evaluators or people who just factor that in to their evaluations might be lower than, than I am personally. And that's not to say that I don't think induced vertical break or life on a fastball is important. Um, 
I'm just very high on him personally for, for all the reasons I mentioned. I liked him in my first look and, and I really haven't had any reason to, to come off that. So he's one of my personal favorites. Ben, do you have any? I like Jacob Miller, right-hander yeah, from one. high school out of Ohio. Season's just getting started up. Um, I saw him, I saw him a couple of years ago at the future star series uh, mm-hmm. as an underclassman for the first time. And I think he was, you know, it's kind of scraping the low nineties then, but then he dropped in a curveball that was just a hammer. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, it was really impressive. Uh, it's still really impressive. I think he, he has that weapon that's going to help him miss a lot of bats potentially. Um, yeah. It's not, maybe some of the um you know consistent velocity compared to you know the guys who are higher up the board and and he's a six foot right-handed pitcher and he's ticked up in velo early this spring though too yeah he's another one of those guys yeah i I mean if he does even and and that's consistent then even better for him so um i i think teams would be hesitant to take like a six foot right hander with that in the Mm -hmm. first round but i think when you get into you know second third round and you see somebody like him on the board and you're looking for high school pitching he'd be Mm -hmm. he'd be one of my guys i I just like the i like the feel for pitching and and especially that that breaking ball i think it's a chance to uh be a big swing and miss pitch for him yeah, I like that you chose Miller. I was also thinking about Jacob Miller, or Jackson Cox, and then I saw Jonathan Cannon. I was like, well, I have to take him. I like Cox as well, just because again, really good uh, feel to spin the baseball. Um, one of his, one of his curveballs, I think it was like thirty two hundred RPM spin. He's gotten plus grades on that pitch. Another guy who's come out this spring and has been pitching well. A little bit more physicality. He's not he's not huge like Jacob Miller uh, as well. They have a lot of similarities in that regard, but. Jackson Cox on the West Coast is another one. And then speaking of just guys who spin the ball really well, I loved Austin Henry, the South Dakota right-handed pitcher who actually announced recently he went under um, he underwent Tommy John surgery and won't pitch this year. Um, so that certainly could take him off boards for a lot of teams. But he had some of the best like innate spin in the class, I thought, um, as well as like a really projectable frame, a fastball in the low 90s. Like I thought he had a lot of good indicators for the future if he could get more consistent with his command add a little bit more power to his fastball and i think both of those will come so hopefully he has a speedy recovery from the tj um that's another one that i really liked do you have any others or is or is that the one for you uh he'd be he'd be the main guy for me okay um we'll do one more question from j5 on instagram does rangers right-hander owen white become a top 50 prospect by the all-star break I think he could, he certainly has the stuff to be in the top 100. Um, I mean, we could say, we could go over a whole bunch of guys and be like, yeah, he could be in the top 100. He could be top 50. Mm-hmm. There, there's a lot of guys with that kind of upside. Um, in White's case, I mean, it's just been health yeah. with him. Um, I mean, the Rangers took him, he's a second round pick out of high school in 2018. Missed time with Tommy John surgery. I mean, say this with like every pitcher, it seems like (laughs) in the Rangers system in that time span. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, before he got hurt, things were like really looking good with him. Um, He, it, it, uh, you know, athletic, good, good arm speed, you know, more projection there physically, uh, you know, show good feel for 
spin with his breaking ball. Then he had TJ, and then he didn't really pitch much last year either, but it wasn't like an elbow or, or a shoulder thing either. It was, I think he had a, a broken hand early on and then just didn't come back until the end of the year. And when he was there, I mean, it looked pretty electric. You can see it in the numbers. It was like, you know, almost, I think, 14, 15 strikeouts per nine. <laughs> I mean, throwing, throwing strikes. I mean, still low A as a 21-year-old. So, um, you know, it's not like he's there because he, um, you know, was struggling. He just hasn't been healthy enough to, mm-hmm. to really play until yeah. um, then. So, but if he comes out, I mean, I, I could, I don't know exactly where they're going to start him, but um, you know, if he goes to, let's say double a, uh, they want to push him, I guess you could call it aggressively. He hasn't, you know, he hasn't pitched above low a, he doesn't have more than, mm-hmm. you know, 40 innings <laughs> yeah. there. So it's, as far as experience, but if he goes there and, and pitches, I mean, it sounds like he was really good the other day. Uh, and spring training for, for whatever that's worth. But, you know, it sounds like similar stuff to what we saw. Yeah. According to you, Ben, it's not worth much. It's, I mean, it's, training. it's not like, <laughs> no, <I'm just> it's, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's just not like, you know, yeah. if, if, if we saw something tangibly different mm-hmm. than last year, as far as the stuff. All right. But it, I mean, it just sounds like a continuation mm-hmm. of what we saw last year. Now he does have, I don't hold the hand thing against him, but uh, you know, he does have a, a TJ do want to see him hold up over a starter's workload to be able to, you know, throw more than hundred innings in, in a season. So, um, you know, dur- certainly durability risk factor is there, but the, the stuff is, is pretty exciting. Yeah. It's kind of crazy that he was drafted in 2018 and has basically 63 innings under his belt in pro ball. That sucks. Another pitcher from that 2018 draft who's just really been snake bitten by injuries is Mason Denenberg. He's Ooh, only thrown yeah. 20.1. He was a first round pick, so a little bit going around higher than where Owen White went. But I remember really liking Mason Denenberg, and we just haven't seen him on the mound at all. I, I really hope he can get healthy because, man, it, he showed such good stuff and athleticism out of high school. And you got to feel for players who just are constantly hurt. I think he's had biceps issues, shoulder issues, TJ. Being a pitcher is just brutal. Chris, Chris Sice, the Rangers first round pick from the year before in mm-hmm. 2017 has, I think like 50 games above like the complex mm-hmm. level right now. Cause he's just had Denver so has 20.1 innings. innings and he was drafted in 2018. So he's only pitched in one year and in, in the 2019 season, other than that, he's been kind of shelved. So. Yeah. Yeah, that whole man, the range the Rangers just had like injury after injury after injury for a while there mm-hmm. in their farm system. It was just kind of kind of painful to uh yeah. to watch watch that. Ricky Venasco, I mean, another I mean, not a high pick, but I mean the stuff was really <laughs> exciting and going the right way up to ninety-nine. Another guy had TJ for them, so uh, well, I think the Rangers maybe shook off their curse and put it on the college pitchers this year. Um, that's definitely where it seems like it's settled. We've got too many college pitchers injured. We got some high school pitchers injured. It sounds like if you don't want to be injured, just don't pitch. It seems like the safe path to be a hitter. That does. I've never had. Yeah. I mean, I've never had a, an arm injury myself. So how hard be the solution? 
there's like my my uh my track man here is not operational so not, <laughs> gotcha technical yeah. difficulties over yeah. on ben's side all right with that i think we're gonna wrap things up here uh ben before we hop out is there anything that you want to plug or uh alert listeners to or just mention uh what do we need to plug we got we got we just keep putting out more more draft rankings and more updated draft reports so we're gonna have um you put together our college top 50 prospects list that's up on the site right now. We're going to do combined rankings pretty so soon the 23 for class. Specifically. Yeah. For the, yeah. Sorry for the 2023 class. So Carlos went with his sleeper at LSU for the number mm-hmm. one. Uh, yeah. That's my breakout, uh, my breakout hitter of the year for next year. Dylan Cruz. Yeah. Under the radar guy, sneaky power. Um, yeah. He, he could be pretty good. But yeah, so we've got, you know, we, we've got a whole bunch of draft stuff. And we, if, I mean, definitely be following Jeff and Carlos, who are down in spring training for us or right Jeff now. Jeff and Josh. I'm not going to spring training, Ben. Come on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. It's been too long. we got to get out of here. You're kind of falling off form. <laughs> I think, uh, I don't know if you know, but I'm not sleeping a lot with uh, <laughs> a four-month-old in, oh, uh, in, in the house. But yeah no definitely those guys are doing a, a really good job down mm-hmm. in uh arizona and, and florida right now so um excited to uh to see what they have yeah absolutely i've got nothing to plug here uh just thank you guys for listening to the podcast um keep sending your questions i guess is just my only request if you guys have anything uh feel free to send those our way at, at any point um i know some of you guys dm me uh and, and that's always nice interacting with you guys and kind of just going over some of the stuff that we talked about on the podcast. So that interaction is fun, but send us your, your questions to um, Ben at Ben Badler on Twitter and Instagram. I'm on Twitter at Carlos A. Colazzo. Uh, and outside of that, yeah, thanks for listening guys. We appreciate it. And we will be back next week with episode 30. See you next time. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.